Uh, welcome. Today we are going to be doing a Bible study. I'm Christopher Fisher. I'm with my new best friend, Michael Cantu. Do you want to say anything for the audience? Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, uh, to uh, get into God's Word, um, something that's just changed my life dramatically. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this. It'll be fun. Yeah, so today we're going to be going over Ephesians, which is a great, great book of the Bible. This is one that my dad had me memorize, me and me and my siblings memorize as kids. So we, we could pretty easily go through all of it. We, we memorized in the New American Standard. I was telling uh, Michael here, and it was good times. It was good times. There's specific reasons my dad used that uh, translation. But uh, today we'll be talking about Ephesians. And so the background to Ephesians, Paul is in jail. We know that from his chapter 6. He says he's a prisoner, and he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. doesn't say he's a prisoner in chains. He's an ambassador in chains. Why is he an ambassador in chains? For the gospel that he's teaching. And what is he teaching? That the Jews are equal to the Gentiles, that they're equal. And remember, in Jerusalem, when he goes to the temple, the Jews riot against him. They get him arrested and send him to Rome. So this is probably written in Paul's later days, possibly in Rome. And so Ephesians starts out with uh, some interesting language here, Ephesians 1.3 and 1.4. And Michael, do you want to make any comments on, on what this means, that to God and his relationship to us being expressed in these verses? I know you're pretty big into God's relationship with man. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So a lot of love language there. Yeah, I, I like how Paul repeats certain things. And um, they'll say, like, good teachers are purposely repetitive um, if they're wanting to drive a point uh, across. I, I love how Paul states, uh, seated with Christ in heavenly places. And you see that theme repeated through the book of Ephesians. Um, but I read that, and I, I love how, uh, regardless of what it is that we're going through, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that truth is always uh, relevant. We might not always feel it, but a lot of times we don't feel truths or things that, that are that are fact, um, especially if you're going through like a trial or something like that, it's probably the hardest thing to remember that uh, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Um, but I love the just the repetitiveness of what Paul drives home there, that regardless of where we're at, what we're going through, that we're just seated with Jesus. Um, and I, I love how he just uh, is faithful to remind the church of Ephesus of that truth. Yeah, I think that language is very interesting. You see that language in Hebrews applied to Jesus. Jesus sits at the right hand of God in Hebrews. This this imagery, like so it's it's a royal courtroom imagery where God's on the throne, like in Revelation, Jesus is on his right hand, and then in Ephesians we are seated there as well as uh, the saints. And you you build this royal courtroom imagery, the chosen people, the people who are are blessed who love God and they, they surround him and in Revelation they sing his praises forever. And so Paul likely has something like this in mind 
this, this heavenly court where we get to commune with God. We see the, the love language. I know some people like to use this to try to claim that God controls everything. Oh, he chose us and him before the foundation of the world, which they, they want to read as individual choosing. Like he's got a list of names and he chooses them. Instead of like a corporate election, like I chose my children to watch classic movies with me every Monday. They're born, and guess what? They're born into something I predestined them to do. It's a corporate choosing. Um, I don't know all my kids' names ever that get born uh, before they're born. I don't you know. Sometimes after their names, after they're born, I kind of forget. But before they're born, it's not like I have every list of every kid I'm ever, ever going to have. But I do have a predestined plan for them that they will sit with their father and we will have good times together uh, forever. Forever, that is my plan. And it, it's, a, it's a loving plan. And God has loving plans for us in him, in, in heaven. And so it, it's, it's sad when people try to subvert passages which highlight God's dedication, God's love. Then they ascribe to him passionlessness. They say God doesn't feel emotions. It's, it's kind of a sad thing to do with a passage that is pretty deep, pretty deep emotionally. We see God's rich emotions coming out in this, especially towards his creation, according to us. He loves us. He lavishes grace. He lavishes redemption. He lavishes love on us. So moving on, it, we, we see in Ephesians Paul's use of mystery language. Now, the mystery cults were pretty big in those days. And in the mystery cults, usually they were set up around local gods, like uh, the cult at uh, of Dionysus. So they, they might have something in their secret chamber, like a solitary grain, uh, the cult of D Demeter. And they would, they would contemplate this uh, focal object, and they, they would uh, get these deep spiritual truths. And so when Paul talks about the mystery, he is not like these mystery cults. He seems to be subverting these ideas. And he says that, that all these mysteries are plain to us. And he explains the mysteries full and open for all his hearers. So in Christianity, as opposed to the mystery cults of the day, the secrets were revealed. They're not secret. He reveals them all. He tells them all. You've got to remember, too, Chris, uh, Acts 19 talks about, uh, like, the revival that took place in Ephesus. Like, a lot of people were coming out of paganism, witchcraft, um, and uh, in that chapter, it says that they were uh, destroying their books, which, when they totaled it out, was about 20,000 pieces of silver. Um, and I just, I, I hear that, and I'm like, what was going on that would cause these peoples to turn away from paganism, idolatry, and to turn to the Lord? Um, and I just, I think of, uh, like you mentioned the emotions, it's like the prodigal son coming home and the emotions of the father, uh, to embrace his child coming home. Uh, like you described your children spending time with you watching TV. Um, but I, I love that about the Lord. He's, he's very personal. Yes, he's holy. Uh, and we must never forget his holiness. Um, but he's also, um, more than willing to just uh, be present in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And, um, yeah. So, sorry yeah, no, no, that's, that's all pretty good. But Paul, in almost all his letters, he, he very much focuses on prayer. I, I'm praying to you 
for you to to his audience. He's saying, "I'm praying for you to God." He's he's petitioning God for actions from God. He believes God is a God of a response. God hears prayers. God answers prayers. These prayers are prayers that can affect God on an emotional and an intelligent level. God can God can respond to prayers. This is Paul's theology. And uh, even in Ephesians, he talks about his prayers to God on behalf of other people. So we, we see this here. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose. This is uh, verse 9. That's some of the mystery language. I'm going to keep uh, rolling on a little bit uh, to see what the next thing that I have highlighted for Paul's, Paul's idea of God. So I got, um, well, yeah, verse 17. We we're just talking about this in, uh, what is it, chapter 2? Let me, let me check real quick. It says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. Chapter one. Yeah, chapter one. Yeah, I. Correct. That is chapter one. He does not cease giving thanks, and he's praying for them, so that God can respond to the prayers and benefit them. So Paul's theology is one in which prayer affects God. God is personal, just like you just you just said. God is personal. God is present. God hears prayers. You got anything? Uh, Add to that? Yeah, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Um, a, when I hear of the eyes of the heart being enlightened, I, I guess I think of wisdom. Uh, being able to see things rightly and comprehend them uh, through God's eyes. And uh, I think that's why Paul was praying that over the church, that they would have an understanding uh, of exactly who they are in Jesus, um, but also who God is. Um, and so I think that would be an important prayer for any believer to just grasp a hold of in their daily routine of just uh, getting before the Lord and just asking them, Lord, open up the eyes of my understanding um, that we would know what is the hope of his calling, uh, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Uh, it's so easy to forget that this world is temporary. Um, and, you know, compared to eternity, a hundred years really does seem like a small amount of time. Um, but just the fact that we can have that understanding in a right perspective of, you know, this world is going to fade away, but being with the Lord, that's forever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's something that... Um, I think when our heart grasps a hold of it, it just changes our perspective of how we walk our day-to-day -day lives. Like the things that seem to bother us really wouldn't bother us compared to eternity or the spectrum of eternity when you think about it. Yeah, that seems to be the next picture he starts painting here. So in verse 20, he starts talking about Christ being seated in the heavenly realms. We talked about this a little bit. And then moving on into chapter 2, he talks about in verse 6, raising us up and seating us with him in the heavenly realms. What do you think about when you hear that? I think about God's heavenly kingdom, the saints surrounding him as uh, described in Revelation, uh, God's people being with God. In, in Revelation, one of the most potent passages is that God will be with his people. You know, in the end of Revelation, they'll say God is with his people. 
So being in the presence of God. I think that's what it's describing. And why? Why, why does God do this? In verse 4, again, Paul is, believes that God has potent emotions, strong emotions. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which with he loved us, God is passionate. God loves us. It's not like the idea of God that some people paint. I know we were talking earlier the other day. Some people are like, oh, God shouldn't love anyone. Everyone is so below God. But that's the reluctant Savior. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like that, it's not the picture that you get from the Bible. God loves people. Yeah. God wants to commune with people. God, God loves us. He has a great love with which he loved us. And this love causes him to do actions. You see Paul ascribing actions to God based on the motivations of love. God has cause and effect. God thinks love, God feels love, and God acts in response to that love which he feels. And I love that because uh, with the love that you have, um, you know, um, just remember hearing your story about one of your child uh, being sick with leukemia and, and uh, like the father heart to be able to give whatever str whatever strength you have to a child that's sick or recovering from illness. Um, that's so portrayed in that passage, uh, uh, chapter one of uh, or chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked. Um, But God, going to verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loves us. Um, love has to have a manifestation uh, in order to be felt. And uh, I just think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's like, how did he display his love? Like, you can tell yeah. somebody, I love you. But if you show them, it's like it really impacts the heart. It's like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall have life. Um, I think it's Romans 3.26, where it says, We were dead in our trespasses, but God um, made us alive. Um, yeah, you, you get a lot of that language also in Ephesians about uh, the, the blood of Christ drawing us to God. So Christ is, in Paul's mind, the mechanism for our closeness to God. It's, it's through Christ's blood that we could reach communion with God the Father. I'm, I'm trying to pull up the exact uh, verse. But now in Jesus Christ, you, who used to be far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And, and what he, who he's referring to specifically are the Gentiles as we will see in verse 3. In verse 3, he starts talking about the mystery again. So he talks about this secret mystery that was given to him, and he says, it's been made known to me in secret by revelation. It's not been known before. And in verse 6, he specifically, specifically defines this mystery. Remember, this is mystery cult language. This is the mystery of his religion. This is like the mystery cult secret that he's revealing here. And the mystery is that the Gentiles, and I'm a Gentile, so this is good news, are fellow heirs, fellow members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Now this, this is the reason Paul is in chains. The Jews do not like this message. They want to be the special chosen people. They can't be on an equal playing field with the uncircumcised. Before this time, there were Gentiles who were trying to be God-fearers. They, they, they were called God-fearers. They would try to follow Yahweh, but they didn't want to go all the way. They didn't want to circumcise. 
And so when Paul came along with this message that the Jews and Gentiles are now equal, now you do not have to be circumcised, this made the Gentiles pretty happy, and it made the Jews very much mad. And it ended up ended up being uh, Paul's probably leading to his execution in Rome. So let's, let's roll on a little bit. I, I would like to talk briefly about his idea of spiritual warfare. We, we get a lot of spiritual warfare type language going on here. We already heard the passage about us going to heaven and God being ruler of the earth. So you, you get this almost uh, imagery at tension. So God is the rightful rule of the earth. He, that language is used. But there are still principalities of darkness which God fights. And this is, this is the passage where we put on the full image of God, or full armor of God, uh, in order to fight this spiritual warfare. I'm trying to fast forward to it real quickly here. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heaven. So in Paul's mindset, God is ruler, yes, but there are forces that oppose God. And in, in the spiritual realm, these forces fight. It's not that God controls everything um, to the meticulous detail, every blade of grass that's ever cut by a lawnmower, God's controlling where that flows. That's not Paul's idea. There's an element of chaos in this world. And there's chaos created by people attempting to oppose God. The, the army of the devil, as he uses that language here, the enemies of God who are the rulers of this world. Yes, to Paul, God's still the ruler of the world, but he's in conflict with the people who have world control. Remember, Jesus' prayer was, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The earth currently is not under God's will. It's not doing God's will. There's sin, there's corruption, there's death, there's decay. And this is the spiritual battle that Paul wants us to fight along with God and God's armies in the heavenly realm. Yeah, I, I love stories because they just really are a good way to connect um, just with the word. Um, but I remember um, in Kansas City one time, one of my favorite things to do, and it still is, is I love going out and just ministering to people, to, uh, just telling them about Jesus and um, but we were, uh, I was with my church and we were in probably the dangerous, uh, one of the most dangerous areas of Kansas city, uh, just going door to door and, and just talking to people about God's love for them through Jesus. Um, and, uh, I just remember coming up to a house and, um, beware of dog signs were all over the fence. And, uh, my team and I were like, well, you know, do we really want to miss an opportunity to share God's love with somebody? So we walked through the fence and uh, uh, knocked on the door. And I, I'll be honest, I was so scared because I was I was sure that a dog was going to come just roaring around the corner. And nobody answered the door. We didn't even see a dog. We left and closed the gate. That way, if there was a dog, we wouldn't get out. But anyways, we went progressing through. And um, talk about really needing to know... Uh, about the armor of God, like when you're in a situation, when you're in like one of the most violent areas, um, it's like you really have to have a faith that, number one, if something does happen to you, uh, you have that assurity of where you're going. Uh, number two, just knowing that the time that you're there is 
is because of the Lord and the love that he has for you and the love that you have for him. And I love Romans 8 where it says uh, those that God causes all things to work for good for those that love him. Um, and so, yeah, we went there. People were not really receptive to our message. It was a violent area. Um, but I remember walking back past that house and a huge dog just coming up. And it was like one of the houses that we're, we're at where the, dog, where the Beware of Dog sign was just at. I'm like, wow. I was like, that dog, you could have been in that fence while that dog was there. And uh, I don't know. I, I just see it as uh, just God looking out for us, you know. Um, and all in all, it was a great time of outreach. The people that we got to pray over, we met, we led one lady to the Lord. And it was just it was just amazing to see her have that heart connect with the Lord. Um, so I, I love the armor of God. It's definitely uh, something that every believer should do on a daily basis. Right. And part of that is praying. It says, uh, it says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And guess what he does? Very next uh, verse. Yeah, well, maybe not the very next verse, but he says, pray also for me that I may be given the message when I begin to speak, that I might carefully make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. And here I'm reminded of uh, Moses' conversation with God in in uh, Exodus 3, 3 and 4, in which he, God tries to send Moses to Pharaoh, and Moses is like, I'm not a good speaker, I don't know. And, and God says, I'll give you the words, I'll do that. And Moses is like, ah, I, 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 can't, I really can't do that, and, you know. And then God keeps pressing him and pressing him. And finally God is like, oh, whatever, I'll send Aaron. But but God could have given Moses the words to speak. Moses was just a resistant prophet. He didn't, he didn't uh, trust God enough to allow God to direct his words. And he needed a different spokesman. But Paul, Paul seems a little bit more confident in God's, God's ability to give him the right words to speak. And he asks, he asks for people to pray for him because he believes that God listens to prayers. God will give him the strength. Yeah, on that topic, I remember we were visiting my family back home in uh, Texas, and uh, throughout the years I've had an uncle who's just really struggled really with drug addiction. And um, I remember my wife and I were just praying for him, uh, I think over the course of two days, just very consistently praying for him over that drug addiction. And uh uh, two days had passed, and I remember it was the following day he came to us, and just out of the blue, he we were talking to him about something, and then out of the blue, he had blurted to my wife. He's like, I don't know what it is. He's like, but I don't have any drug cravings right now. Um, and we heard that, and my wife was like, well, we know why. It's because God answers prayer. Um, and so all that to say, you know, you're right, Chris. God is a God who, who hears prayer. I think of uh, uh, Luke 11, where... The, um, the neighbor comes and is knocking at the door for bread because he has a visitor. And uh, at the persistence of the knocking, um, he got up and gave him bread. And uh, Jesus had used that parable to describe about the benefits of persisting in prayer. So, um, Yeah, basically it's like if, if this neighbor who doesn't care about you is just going to be badgered into doing it, how much more will God be who actually loves you? Mm. And so that's the point of it, that God's not, you don't have to pester God like you would a neighbor. You, you need to ask, though. And I always get a little bit frustrated with people who think that God is a God who gives these answers to prayers that are 
that are detrimental to ourselves. For example, there, there's, you know, what kind of father gives his son a viper instead of bread? They say, oh, God gave my son cancer so that I would be stronger. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think... I don't think he hands out vipers like that. It's like, how about make me stronger without the son's cancer? That might that might be a good thing. I, I don't think God is hurting people in order to prove some moral character or something like that. I think God is a good father who gives good things to his sons. Yeah, we have to remember it's a fallen world as well. You know, yeah. It's broken. Um, it doesn't take long for stuff to just... Uh, go into disarray. Um, my hope is that anybody would hear this would just uh, find themselves uh, just before the Lord, uh, knowing that He's a good Father who does hear from them. Um, and even when the answer is no to your prayers, just uh, my hope is that you find peace uh, just in abiding with the Lord. Um, it's interesting, but that word abide, a lot of times um, we get nervous if we have somebody close to us that loses somebody uh, in their lives. And, and the awkwardness is that we don't know what to say and we mm -hmm. don't know what to do to bring comfort. Um, but a lot of times just being in their presence, uh, being in their company, even though we don't say anything, actually brings comfort. Um, and I know in my life, whenever I've heard the, the answer no to prayers that I've been praying, um, just that that sense that God is near brings so much comfort, even when the answer to my prayer was no. Um, the fact that the Lord would be willing to abide with me uh, and just to be with me in my, my, my hardest circumstances, um, it just draws me closer to Him. So my hope and my prayer is that you would find yourself abiding with the Lord, even if the answer is no. Right, even if He doesn't respond. Like King David in the Psalms, a lot of time, a lot of King David is God's favorite person of the Bible. The man after God's own heart, he's described as star of the Bible. And he has some very dark episodes in his life where he's crying out for help. He says, good Lord, why have you turned your face against me? Uh, where are you? Why aren't you responding, God? So even God's favorite person in the Bible goes through these dark periods where there may be an absence of God, felt absence that, uh, that hurts us in our, in our times. There's typically in the Psalms abounding back. So either the prayer is answered or it's anticipated that the prayer is answered. Uh, we're not sure which, uh, per, the ver per, per which Psalm we're looking at. But I'd like to kind of close this out here. Uh, two things. Uh, first of all, in Ephesians 6.21, I like pointing out figures of speech. And I got it uh, highlighted here. I think... What is going on here? My verses aren't lining up. Tychus, my dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will make everything known to you so that you may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. Uh, everything known to you is a hyperbole. And so that's just how language works. It's not that he's going to make everything in the world mathematics, advanced mathematics. That's not actually what's going to go on there. But he's just going to make known the things in context because Paul's given him a general understanding about what the context is, and that's what's going to be communicated there. So hyperboles, we need to be aware of them. They do pop up in, in the Bible, and we just need to read context to understand how hyperboles work. The last thing is, again, God's love is emphasized throughout Ephesians to Paul, 
God is a God of love. God is a God of passions. He's of feelings. He says, peace to the brothers and sisters. This is verse 23. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with the undying love. And so I, I, it might not be explicit, but I think this is uh, emphasizing this two-way love. That we love God and God loves us back. It's not a one-way relationship. Relationships have different parties. Different parties who gain from the relationship. Yeah, God can gain from relationship with mankind. God sings over mankind in the Bible. God gets joy out of communion with man. This is why he created man. Uh, as that, uh, what, Toby Maxon says that we were made to love and to be loved. Any closing thoughts? Um, Sorry to put you on the spot there. <laughs> no, it's good. Grace and, okay, verse 24, grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. I, I think it's uh, John chapter 4, where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. And he says, uh, uh, the time has now come where the true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and truth. Um, and, like, how could we love God more? Uh, first of all, it's just realizing that none, nothing in ourselves could ever bring us uh, before the Father. As the Bible says, we all fall short. Um, we're all born into sin. Um, but his great love, which he has for us, uh, didn't stop short of our sins or our shortcomings. Um, and so the beauty of the gospel is we're so undeserving of God's love through Jesus Christ, yet he was more than willing to sacrifice his son for us. Um, and I love how Paul just closes that letter to the Ephesians, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 12, 12 talks about um, how the Lord despised the shame and endured the cross. And uh, for the sake of uh, for the sake of his believers, um, would he do that? And uh, I, I just love how Paul's willing to close off on that, just a reminder of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so that's where I'm at, Chris. Yeah, I think that's a very potent message. I think it's a very important message, and a message that is often de-emphasized, de-emphasized by people who are trying to do systematic theology. God's love. God's passions, God's relationship with mankind. These are important elements of the Bible. This is important in Paul's theology. He stresses it over and over again. And the passages that are purposely subverted by some individuals to turn God into a stoic God without passions. Uh, that's, a, that's a dangerous game to play. That's a dangerous game to play, and so not one I'm, I'm willing to play personally. But I think we had a good uh, talk here. I think this is a pretty good Bible study. We, we skipped over some stuff, but uh, at some point maybe we, we'll have to go back. But we hit the main highlights as, as Paul is talking about the characteristics and attributes of God, which, which are heavily stressed in, in the chapters that we did go over along with his gospel, and then also how to live. We skipped over that part, but his emphasis to us is because we love God, we will do the right thing. We, we will serve him and follow him with our hearts, body, mind, and soul. 
Anyways, um, that has been our Bible study for today. Thank you for listening. Questions, comments, put that down below in the comments or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thanks. Bye. So long.